0: Adult content intended for an adult audience only. Content of stories is purely fiction and not intended to be used for anything but enjoyment for those who enjoy these topics and situations. If you don't agree with the themes and the tags, please do not listen to the story. All characters engaging in sexual relationships or activities are 18 years old or older. Contains explicit words, thoughts, and ideas. This story was found on a free website and brought to audio form here. I did not write and take no credit for this story. Please visit the link above to further support this writer. Morgan's Genie by Bashfully Shameless Prologue You shouldn't have come here, Thomas. You don't belong. His tone carried neither friendship nor respect. The soldier with the axe made no attempt to conceal his easy contempt. That becomes clearer every day, grunted Thomas. He dismounted from his horse, leaving it to stand or walk as it wished. His round shield was already on his left arm. Sweat and dust from the road coated his brow. Thomas was barely twenty-three, but the crusade had already left him feeling far older than that. Screams and pleas for mercy came from women in the lonely house behind William and his axe. Two bodies and pools of their own blood attested to what had already passed before Thomas arrived. Both Saracens hardly men at all yet, now never to be had been shot down with arrows before they had even crossed blades with William or the other crusaders. Thomas couldn't imagine what the family here did to support itself. There was no sign of farming, and it didn't look like good grazing land for sheep. Moreover, he didn't know how the crusaders hadn't sacked it before now. They were only a few miles from Antioch. Given the desperate foraging for supplies during the lengthy siege of the city, surely someone should have spotted this lone home before now. Antioch had fallen a month ago. The crusaders had then triumphed over the Turks who had come to save it. None of it mattered to Thomas. Not anymore. William stood before the doorway to the house. Hefting up his axe at the ready while his face retained a casual expression. Violence and killing had become fairly casual affairs for him. Why not just go home, then? William asked. You murdered John, Thomas said levelly. Oh, the night we took Antioch. It was not the Saracens who killed him. It was you and yours. William's brow rose. You know, he said dryly. John interfered with us while we searched for plunder among the Saracens, too. There was no denial. Thomas had no patience for one, anyway. Geoffrey, Thomas bellowed as loudly as he could. Hide in there and die like the wretch you are or come out here to face judgment as a man. Make your choice. The ultimatum disrupted whatever was going on in the house. The women's screams fell to frightened whimpers. The taunting calls of the men within ceased. Thomas drew his sword, his shield still on his arm. Your idiot friend cost me four of mine. William growled, stepping forward with his axe at the ready. William lunged forward, a touch faster than Thomas had expected but not so fast as to catch the younger warrior off guard. Rather than block the axe with his shield, though, Thomas held the shield close to his chest and spun away, letting William's momentum take him past. The shield was up around again. Held parallel to the ground as it slammed into the back of William's head. The crunch of bone was unmistakable. William's body jerked, flailed, and fell to the ground. Thomas paused only long enough to see his foe convulse on the ground before he looked to the house once more. There was a curtain in the doorway and certainly an ambush behind it. Thomas turned back, heaved William to his feet, and forcefully ran the beleaguered soldier at the doorway. The curtain fell pulled down as William tumbled into the waiting spear held by the man on the other side. There was a shriek and a stumble of confusion. Another foe advanced from around the side of the doorway, sword at the ready. Thomas gave ground, preferring to fight outside where he had room to move. As the bearded stranger swung left and then right, Thomas expertly blocked with his shield. Thomas had the measure of the man by the time the one with the spear freed himself from the tangle of William and the curtain and rushed out to join the battle. Tellingly, Sir Geoffrey came storming out after the spearmen only once Thomas was fully engaged with both soldiers. "'I'll have you drawn and quartered for this treason, Thomas,' the knight snarled. "'Your lord might,' Thomas grunted. He parried away the sword, blocked the spear with his shield sprang to his right and slashed expertly into the swordsman's gut. His enemy's mail was shoddy and weak. links split along with skin and muscle. The man let out a shocked, garbled cry of pain before he sank to his knees. Thomas turned with his guard still up. You won't live to see it. Sir Geoffrey blinked as his swordsman went down. There was a wary pause. While Geoffrey certainly couldn't be called a coward, he was a man who calculated risks. He should have had a four to one advantage here, but that already been halved at no cost to his foe. Harold, Geoffrey said, go left. He stalked around Thomas to the right. The spearman moved left as instructed. Walk away and I let you live. Thomas offered evenly to Harold. William and Geoffrey here owed me blood. You don't share in their crimes. It didn't work. Harold said nothing, but rather looked to Geoffrey, then back at William and awaited his chance. There was a long, tense standoff, two foes circling Thomas while he waited calmly for one or the other to make a move. The wind began to pick up, carrying dust and sand along with it. Your friend died protecting Saracen sluts, like you are now. Jeffrey sneered. He bled out in the dirt for the sake of those we came to conquer. There's a special place in hell for traitors. Thomas didn't take the bait. He merely kept his guard up, doing his best to keep track of both circling opponents. More dust blew by. Geoffrey tried again. You are a dead man, Thomas, he said. Even if you should survive the night, you'll be hanged as a traitor. If you are lucky. Indeed, Thomas nodded. That much is already decided. Either I die here, or I die on the morrow. In light of that, you might reconsider your odds of talking your way out of this before you waste more breath. Geoffrey spat. He kept creeping to the right, searching for an advantage. Thomas kept him in view, listening carefully for any shift in movement or stance from Harold. Yet as Geoffrey moved, Thomas caught sight of someone behind him. The old man was dressed in darkly colored Saracen peasant's garb. Though his face bore age, it still carried strength. Rather than lean on his staff, he held it aloft in one hand while the other hand released sand into the wind.IT was just enough of a distraction. Harold made his move, rushing forward. Thomas spun. There was ever more dust in the wind, thickening with every heartbeat. He had to squint while he brought his shield up to block the spear, pushing forward hard, slamming into the enemy. It was only to put Harold off balance. Jeffrey would be there in a moment. Thomas turned just in time to block Jeffrey's swing and bring his own sword down across Jeffrey's face. He couldn't recover quickly enough, though. The spear hit him from behind. It bit across the back just below the shoulders. Thomas felt the head of the spear slice into his backbone, more of a slash than a stab. There was a split second of horrible realization of how deeply he'd been cut, and then nothing. His arms went limp. The blade fell from his hands even as Jeffrey tumbled to the ground dead. Thomas swayed, trying to turn with limbs that would no longer move for him. The sandstorm grew worse that IT hadn't been that dusty out here. It was bad land for grazing, but it wasn't desert. The storm was so strange, and so sudden, a moment later, Thomas realized there was someone right there in front of him. He only had sight of the old man for a second. Then the staff slammed into Thomas's head and the world went dark. I have always known that Christians are prone to fighting amongst themselves, someone said in the darkness. I have seen it. It is not so different from my own people, sadly. But I did not think to find Christians killing one another at my door. Thomas couldn't open his left eye. He couldn't move from where he lay either, yet he felt nothing holding him down. His right eye flitted open. Treating him to the sight of the stars above, the old man knelt beside him. You killed all but the one with the spear, he said simply. That one I let run off back to the city. Why? Thomas croaked. He hasn't much more time anyway, the old man shrugged. He is sick. He doesn't know it yet, of course. Few of your men do yet a good number of them are. I saw no need to stain my hands with his blood. And mine? Not much need for that, I can do little for your wound. I'm afraid it is all I can do to keep you alive as it is. You would at best be better than for the rest of your life. He could not rise, but Thomas was still capable of a shuddering breath. Then killing me would be a kindness. Do you deserve such kindness, Christian? After a long moment, Thomas let out another shaky breath. No, tell me, Christian. the old man went on curiously. Why are you here? I came to avenge a friend, Thomas managed, and to honor his memory. Oh, I gathered that, the old man replied. You also saved my daughters from rape and death. Alas, not so much for my servants. I am sorry for that. Truly. Why? Were they not pagans? Monsters? No. They were just boys. There are no more monsters here than there are among my own people. I know that now. John tried to tell me, before he died. I should have stayed in Normandy. Found a woman. Made a home. We were fools to come here. But why did you come? Because my liege demanded it. Because there was a holy cause. We came to reclaim the holy land for Christ. I have read of your Christ. The old man nodded sagely. I have read your sacred texts. Have you? No. A pity. You might have found, as I did, that there is no point where Christ instructs anyone to shed blood over this land. I seem to recall his message was one of peace and love, not war. Thomas swallowed hard. It was difficult. He was dying and knew it. Then I may have been misinformed. He managed. The old man laughed. So that eliminates Christ from the question. And your liege? Is far less worthy of all this blood than Christ? Thomas answered after a moment. I see. Not a good Christian? Nor a good man. Thomas sighed. I knew, but I told myself that he was good enough. I was wrong. It is a terrible thing to serve someone who is unworthy. It is. Thomas fell silent for a while. The stars were beautiful. I'm going to die tonight. The reply did not come immediately. What would you do if you did not? Would you leave here? Yes. And to what end? To find a worthy liege? Or perhaps a woman? Peace and love? Yes, Thomas answered. A tear fell from his eye. The old man nodded thoughtfully. These are difficult things to find. It could take you a very long time. It is a sin to settle for less. Thomas whispered, I know that now. The old man's hand was on his shoulder. He couldn't feel it, and only knew it was there because he saw the old man reach down. You saved my daughters and avenged my servants, the old man said. I owe you a debt. I am the one who owes. Thomas whispered, If you had a chance to serve out the debt you feel you owe. The old man asked, his voice grave yet hinting at hope. Would you want to live? if it were in service to another? Only. Thomas gasped, then swallowed. Only if it was someone worthy. The old man produced a bottle then, sealed and decorated with complicated patterns of lines. It wasn't terribly ornate, nor did it look to be made of any precious metal, but the bottle was striking just the same. As he removed the top, smoke began to rise forth, billowing out with a dozen pleasant scents. What is happening? Thomas asked. We must talk of service, Thomas, the old man said simply. We must talk of service, and of worth, and of second chances. Harold didn't have long to run. His horse was not far away, nor those of his now-dead comrades. Harold paused at those horses only to quickly check them for supplies and booty before rushing back to Antioch that he had to ride through the night. Feeling a touch feverish and fatigued but knowing he must press on dot he found his lord on the road outside the city, riding with several others. Charles! he cried out. My lord Charles! The husky, bearded warrior on his horse turned a curious eye on his man. He couldn't help but immediately note that Harold came to him without his spear, nor any other weapon on his belt or on his horse. He watched as Harold dismounted and bowed. Speak! he said. We found the old man. It. Well, we found his house first and attacked. He didn't turn up until later. It was as you said. The charms you gave us were proof against the magic in his home. We broke down his wards. We had slain his servants and lay in wait in his home. But... Harold broke off in a coughing fit, wheezing as it passed to control himself again. What happened? Charles growled. Where is my son? Dead, my liege. They're all dead. All but me. The old man killed my son? No, Lord. Not the old man. Thomas. Charles glowered at Harold for a short moment. His first thought was to kill Harold on the spot, partly out of rage that he had survived when Geoffrey had not, and partly out of pure frustration. But there were more important matters to resolve here. Show me, he said before waving to the rest of his men to follow. Chapter 01 January, 2009, Baghdad, Iraq No, 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 I joined up in 02 when it was still just Afghanistan and we were going after the assholes who actually attacked us. No WMD bullshit and certainly no Abu Ghraib, Morgan Anderson declared firmly. Her eyes were vigilantly turned outward as the armored Humvee rolled through the streets despite the growing tension of the conversation. So what, you think everyone who signs up now is just an asshole? Asked the soldier seated on her left. Did I say that? Morgan countered. Sounds like you wouldn't have enlisted if you had known what was gonna go down here. Jensen, that's like 90% of us. First Sergeant Gomez called from the front passenger's seat. I don't know many guys who honestly want to spend every other year in sunny Iraq. Y'all can take my next deployment when it comes up if you want it, Jensen joked Washington in the driver's seat. Look, we didn't come out here and do all this for nothing is what I'm saying, Jensen scowled. Getting rid of Saddam was a good thing. This wasn't a big waste just cause they got the intel wrong. You know about that, right, Anderson? Ouch, Gomez chuckled. Then he turned back to the radio handset, distracted by a new voice on the line dot a thin smile came across her lips as she eyed him for a moment then went back to looking out her window. I'm in counterintelligence, jackass, she said. Don't try to pin the old military intelligence oxymoron on me. I'm a dummy, says so right there in my job title. It got a laugh from Washington, sitting in the driver's seat, but Gomez was distracted with the radio. If Jensen thought it was funny, he didn't laugh. And I was still in language school during the invasion anyway, Morgan added. Right, right. Jensen nodded. He was looking out his side of the Humvee, too, but the streets still looked relatively unthreatening. Learning Arabic. Cause that's what they speak in Afghanistan for the real war, right? Oh, wait. No, they don't speak that over there, do they? What's your point, Jensen? Morgan sighed. She was beginning to regret the whole conversation. My point is if you're so against us being here, why didn't you? I dunno. Conscientious object or something. I'm not sure that's an actual verb phrase. Yeah, but you know what I mean. I signed up, just like you did, Morgan said. I took my oath. Wasn't the Army's decision to be here? That was stupid politicians. We're already here, might as well try to make the best of it on the ground. Like we did today, she added with no small tone of assertion. Hey, I ain't complaining about today. Jensen shrugged. Rape's rape. Don't matter whose side you're on. Ain't no call for that, ever. Morgan nodded, not that Jensen saw. They were both turned away from one another, warily watching out opposite windows. She thought, briefly, that the earlier topic had been dropped. A moment later, though, Jensen said, You went for fucking carry, didn't you? Jesus. Morgan scowled. Bush can't even eat a fucking pretzel right, and you think? Anderson, Gomez interrupted. He held the radio handset over his shoulder. You've got a call. She took the handset from him and answered. This is Anderson. What's the verdict, staff sergeant? Asked the voice of an older man on the line. She positively ID'd Hutchinson, Franklin and Woods colonel, Morgan said. I have her full statement, recorded and everything. You don't think she was coerced at all? Coached? No, sir, Morgan answered. She spoke with me alone. I think she's got some good support from her family, sir, but the parents clearly didn't know we were coming and neither did she. This wasn't rehearsed. She even showed me bruising that matches what was reported on Franklin's phone. And I think she'll go the distance and testify. There was a pause. It was, after all, a heavy thing. You have it all on tape? Yes, sir. It's amazing that she would talk to any of us at all. Outstanding work, Sergeant. Thank you, sir, Morgan said. She felt a rush of satisfaction. The situation was certainly as ugly as anything she'd seen in Iraq. It was hard to smile about this after all the pain she had just witnessed and yet the moment left her feeling a little proud. Morgan felt a pang of guilt for thinking of herself at a time like this, but she couldn't deny that it felt good to know she was very good at her job. Very well. Is Morkit there with you? No, sir, he's in the other Humvee, but he recommends a rest. All right, we'll get to that. You just dash. She didn't hear the rest over the explosion that blew the Humvee ahead of hers end over end to land on its roof. Washington slammed on the brakes before he struck the wrecked vehicle. Curses of surprise and anger erupted from inside Morgan's Humvee, followed an instant later by gunfire as they took hits from both sides. She saw blood burst from Jensen's left shoulder beside her as the allegedly bullet-resistant window on his side shattered. Her M4 was already in her hands. She leaned left while Jensen groaned and reflexively jerked right, almost putting his head in her lap. Even as she pointed her weapon out Jensen's now-open window, Morgan spotted a man shooting an AK-47 from behind a parked car. Another man beside him wielded an RPG. The streets of the area were lined with shops and small merchant stalls, though any civilian who hadn't already found someplace to hide was desperately doing so. The hostile with the rocket hesitated. The one with the rifle sprayed wildly. Morgan was far more controlled as she shot back. Training took over as she fired tight groups at the greatest threat first. The one with the RPG jerked back as a red, wet spray burst from his head. The other went down much the same way. More bullets hit the vehicle. The situation was too chaotic at first for her to tell which way they came from. Morgan looked down at Jensen, who was already groaning more in anger than in pain. His shoulder was covered in blood, but the arms still moved. It's not too bad. He managed. Washington was already on the radio calling in the ambush. He crouched down away from the windows just like everyone else. We gotta get them out. Gomez snapped. Jensen! He's hit, Morgan grunted. I'm with you. Jensen, can you cover from the door? Yeah! Go! Ready? Gomez asked. He only waited for a quick nod, then turned back and opened his side door just as Morgan opened hers. She was greeted with the sight of another masked attacker, literally within arm's reach of the door, crouched beside the rear wheel. She saw him toss the small black shape inside. Right in her lap. Grenade! she yelled. She had it in her hand within a second, out the door in the next, slammed the door shut once more, and ducked. When it blew, her window held up much better than the one beside Jensen had. The armored vehicle rocked hard just the same, collapsing on her side without much of a right rear tire left to hold it up. She glanced over to see that Gomez had reacted just the way she'd hoped. He had slammed his door shut as well. There just wasn't time to process any of it. Ready again? Gomez asked. Go, she answered. She saw his door open and threw herself out of her own. There was plenty of smoke from the grenade, along with plenty of blood on the ground around her, but her first concern was over keeping up with Gomez. She found him already crouched in front of her, almost bowling him over. He fired at targets up ahead. There were hostiles at the doors of the overturned Humvee. One had turned his attention from the doors of the Humvee to Gomez, but came up on the losing end of the ensuing exchange of gunfire. The other gunman beside him scrambled to get to cover around the front of the wrecked It was a lot to take in all at once. Morgan had been in many tense situations before in Baghdad, had been very close to live firefights and had even seen an IED take out the vehicle ahead of hers on her second deployment, but she hadn't ever had cause to fire her weapon outside of training. She had always been diligent about going to the range she knew where she'd be deployed, after all and had been through the pre-deployment combat refreshers, but she wasn't an infantry trooper. There had to be a hundred things she didn't even know enough to worry about here. She quickly looked around, saw no targets in view, and immediately followed Gomez into the smoke around the wrecked humvee. Watch right, watch right, Gomez warned, and as he kept an eye on the forward field of fire— Morgan kept up her guard for anyone who might shoot from the buildings on their side of the street dot a bullet ricocheted at her feet. As she jerked over to the side of the wreck she heard Jensen and Washington open up behind her. Looking back quickly, she realized they were both shooting for the rooftops. Help me! Gomez demanded. She turned back, seeing him with the door to the Humvee open and a battered and bloody soldier inside trying to crawl out with Gomez's assistance. She reached down with her left hand, grabbing the soldier by his web gear to help drag him out. He groggily fumbled around on hands and knees while she and Gomez heaved him clear. Morgan had him almost upright and moving back to her still mostly intact vehicle when something slammed into her back and her right thigh. She staggered, whirling around without meaning to. Other bullets bounced off of the side of the Humvee beside her. The impact knocked the wind out of her but her body armor saved her from much worse. The small of her back came up against the Humvee, right where she had been hit, preventing her from falling all the way to the ground. Gomez was down. She saw him there, clutching at his chest. Gunfire roared from several directions, but the bullets weren't going for her. Through the broken windows of the shop on the street, two masked gunmen unloaded on Jensen and Washington to keep them down. Another leapt forth from the doorway bringing the butt of his AK-47 down across Morgan's head. She tried to block but was too sluggish. The blow was harsh enough to knock her down to one knee. She felt her weapon torn from her hands by another attacker. Then they both grabbed her and yanked her back from the street, hauling her into the storefront. She cursed and struggled, but it was two against one and both men were considerably larger than Morgan. One had her by the left arm, the other on her right managed to get her sidearm out of her belt as they crossed the threshold of the store. There were shelves and hanging trinkets everywhere. Another hostile waited inside with a sack that looked like it was meant for her head. A fourth covered the others from the window. Morgan kept fighting. She got one arm free, shrugging off blows to the gut and the constant struggle to get her completely under control again. Before they could stop her, she snatched a grenade from the belt of the one on her right. Morgan twisted up into her left arm rather than trying to get free from the man holding it. It was a fumbling, desperate fight. The moment she had a finger through the pin of the grenade, she yanked it free and let it drop at her feet. Her Arabic was quite good. She heard the man yell, Grenade! Get away! As he shoved her free. She had three seconds after that. Morgan grabbed onto another of her attackers, using him to haul herself out of the way. Her weight threw him off balance, sending him to the floor beside the grenade. She took one limping step, just enough to haul herself around a long shelf of pots, pans and tall bottles before the grenade went off. Shrapnel tore through her left foot and calf. The rack shielded her from the rest of the blast, but her leg simply wasn't clear in time. She went down as the heavy rack fell against the one next to it, leaving her enough space that she wasn't crushed. Fallen cookware battered her just the same. Morgan couldn't hear anything but a constant throb that reverberated through her skull. Even with the smoke and darkness she felt the world spinning around her. There wasn't time to think about that. Just keep moving, she thought. Move. Move. Morgan forced herself to crawl forward through the tunnel made by fallen store shelving. Her foot and ankle were in agonizing pain and the opposite thigh didn't feel any better. Her back hurt like hell, too. Morgan pushed pots and pans out of her way, fumbling along. The gunfire had stopped that, or she had gone completely deaf. She couldn't think straight enough to really consider either possibility. Her head started to clear as she got to the light at the end of her tunnel. A as soon as she had a hand clear of the fallen rack. Someone grabbed her and dragged her the rest of the way free. It wasn't a friendly face. Angry eyes glared out over a checkered cloth covering the nose and mouth. A fist came down on her eye. Slut! The man roared in Arabic. Whore! He punched her again. Leave my country! Morgan tried to block with one arm, fumbling for something anything to use as a weapon with the other. She grabbed onto a bottle, tall and metallic and decorated with an intricate pattern of lines. It looked very old and had solid weight to it. She blocked the man's next punch and slammed the bottle into his head. The blow staggered him. She hit him again and he stumbled to the floor next to her. She kept up her assault. Smoke began to surround her, but she didn't stop swinging. It was what she had been trained to do. Stupid motherfucker! She screamed back at him in English. She kept hitting him. Stop fighting us and we will fucking leave! Smoke and more smoke. It was all coming forcefully from the bottle. Her opponent was down and out after she lost track of how many times she had hit him in the head. Still on her hip, unable to stand, Morgan saw only dark gray smoke around her. She crawled only a foot or two forward before her hand touched someone's hair on the floor in front of her. She caught only a glimpse of him dressed in a chain shirt, pale-skinned, groaning and clutching his head as if he had just suffered the same kind of beating as the Iraqi behind her before injury and blood loss overtook her. Someone in the distance was calling out her name. The world finally went black. Thomas groaned in pain as he lay on the floor, trying to regain some semblance of composure. He was fairly sure that he was supposed to kneel and say something grave and sincere and formal. Something about service and loyalty and honor and what he could provide. Instead, he had an absolutely splitting headache and the rest of him didn't feel all that great, either. However, he could move, and that was certainly an improvement on his condition before the old man had bound him in the bottle. There were voices male, firm, tense yet controlled. He couldn't make out the language right away. As Thomas managed to open his eyes, he found himself in the wreckage of a shop. It was very different from anything he'd seen before. He knew the world had changed a great deal, and he didn't really know how long he had been bound, but to some extent a merchant's shop was a merchant's shop. Men moved through the shop dressed in strange clothes with intricate and confusing patterns of brown and tan colors. They swept through the shop carefully, with black objects held at the ready and intent expressions on their mostly pale but occasionally dark-skinned faces. The men had to be warriors that much seemed quite obvious and the black objects therefore had to be weapons, but Thomas couldn't tell how their weapons were to be used or how they might be dangerous. They looked rather awkward. The warriors seemed quite serious, though, as several stalked right past him. They didn't notice him at all. No one would, he realized, except for his master. Mistress. He knew her face. He'd had a flash of it when she first grasped the bottle. He knew instinctively that she was different from most who had grasped the vessel in the past. But then everything went insane and the pain began. She lay there on the floor in front of him as he forced himself up. She was dressed just like the warriors but badly hurt, with blood pouring from her right leg at the thigh and her left at the foot and ankle. Her comrades, could she be a warrior, too, tended to her. Thomas instinctively reached out to mend her wounds, but then stopped. Witnesses to magic were to be avoided, Thomas realized. He was still unsure of the scale, but the old man had told him that magic became less and less reliable as one's witnesses increased in number. Thomas had no perspective on that. He understood that this was why a wizard such as the old man had not simply thrown the crusader army into the sky with a powerful whirlwind. But surely a few witnesses mattered to work such obvious magic without permission from his mistress though Was perhaps overstepping his bounds before she had even established them It was his duty to protect her He knew that without even needing to consider it He felt it right through his heart But this situation was so confused and he had not yet even introduced himself He didn't know what she would want He didn't know and could not know dot a soldier wrapped her foot in white cloth and soon her leg as well. Thomas became increasingly sure that his mistress was indeed a warrior herself, amazing as that was. The world had changed a very great deal. They laid her upon a litter made of metal and strong fabric, speaking to her all the while as she mumbled and groaned. Thomas listened intently, quickly learning the language. He didn't even realize he was doing it at first, but before long. The words became clear. Back to base and fix you up, the one tending to her wounds said. Around him, two others picked up the litter, one at her head and the other at her feet. Gomez? she asked. Her mouth was bloody and looked like it would soon bruise nastily. Is Gomez okay? They're all okay, sergeant, the other warrior said. They're all gonna be fine. You done real good, sergeant. Just hang in there. Keep breathing. Thomas followed the men and his mistress out into the street. He winced at the brightness of the sun. His eyes adjusted, though, allowing him his first real look at the world beyond his bottle.it was a lot to take in all at once. Morgan's first action upon waking was usually a languid stretch, but as hazy consciousness came over her she was all too aware of pain. Her back hurt. Her face hurt. And her legs, she groaned, shifted a bit, and tried to open her eyes. Only the right would open, the left had something over it. The room was dim but not dark, with a great deal of light leaking in from the open door. Woozy. If anyone had asked her, she'd have to say she felt woozy. Someone kept messing with the zoom and autofocus function on her eye. She must be on painkillers. Good ones, but not good enough. She still hurt. You'll have to be careful, someone said. You are in the infirmary? You were gravely injured. M. No shit, she mumbled, looking around for the voice. He was sitting in a chair next to her bed. Morgan frowned. He needed a shave, would probably be cute with the lights on, but why were you dressed for a Renaissance fair? The man blinked. If you would have me wear something else, I will gladly see to it, he answered simply. I can certainly see how out of place my garb is here. Morgan frowned a bit. Who are you? My name is Thomas, he told her. His voice was soft, gentle. I am your servant. He saw her frown deepen. I apologize, he continued. I have many things for which to apologize at the moment. I did not think to meet you like this and I am very much out of sorts. The world is nothing as I remember it. So while there is much to tell you, you have been through a great deal. The last thing I wish to do is harm you or cause you alarm. Morgan's head turned to look out the door. They check on you every few minutes. There are a great many people here very concerned for you. I do not understand what is going on in this land, but it appears that you are safe from your enemies. Ah, gotcha. But am I safe from you, right? Morgan asked skeptically. You're like the happy, friendly kind of weirdo guy. I would not and cannot harm you. Thomas said, bowing his head somewhat. As I said, I am your servant. Right. Morgan nodded. So you're like Murdoch from the 18 Crazy and not like Hannibal Lecter here to eat my spleen crazy. Thomas frowned. No, I'm not here to eat your, erm. Anything of yours. You're a weirdo. I must be really stoned. I don't believe anyone threw rocks at you. Certainly not that I saw. Though your battle must have been quite the struggle. The wreckage was impressive. It was Morgan's turn to frown. This was one hell of an hallucination. Why are you here? I am what is called a djinn or a genie. Thomas told her with a simple shrug. Though I have learned that the legends of such are quite different from the reality. Genie. Yes. Okay. Okay done being stoned now. She looked around her bed. What can I do for you? Get me someone normal to talk to, she said. There's a buzzer here. There's supposed to be a buzzer to call a nurse or whatever. Isn't there? Ugh, Morgan groaned. You know, if you really are a genie, I wish my head would clear. Thomas promptly rose and reached out to place two fingers on her forehead. A moment later, all the cobwebs and the throbbing headache disappeared. Amazingly, her wounds hurt much less. She looked up at him in shock. What the hell did you just do? Thomas raised a hand to caution her. You are safe, he said, but you should know that no one else will see me. Not unless you specifically instruct me otherwise. It stopped her. She didn't know whether to call for rescue from the crazy person or not but she certainly didn't think this could be a prank. You simply didn't pull pranks on people in the infirmary the moment they woke up after combat injuries. And where in the hell would anyone get chain mail in the middle of Baghdad? I wish for a million dollars, she said flatly. Thomas paused. An awkward, embarrassed look crossed his face. After a moment, he explained, I don't know what dollars are. Seriously? I have learned your language. But most of the references make no sense to me yet. I was only released from my vessel a few hours ago. Oh, whatever. Morgan frowned. You know what? Fine. Gold. You know what gold is, right? Give me a gold brick. No, 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 wait. I wish for a gold brick. He nodded, then looked down at her bed. He reached down his hand beside hers, and then under her fingers was a solid gold bar. Morgan blinked. It was real, it certainly looked like gold, and it was way too heavy to have been dropped there by sleight of hand. Holy shit! she blurted. Staff Sergeant Anderson? a voice asked. Without thinking, Morgan quickly pulled the blanket up over the gold bar. An orderly poked his head in through the doorway. You're awake! he said with a smile, coming into the room and turning on the lights. She winced. Ugh! Yeah, yeah, I'm awake. Morgan smiled awkwardly. What happened? Is everyone okay? I remember someone telling me everyone was okay. If there was one thing she had learned to do in counterintelligence, it was how to pretend something wasn't going on. The best thing was to shift attention to a new topic, preferably one of genuine importance. Well, there are a couple more people from the ambush here besides you, but we think everyone will pull through okay. How are you feeling? The orderly's name tank said identified him as Mwen. Like I just got shot up and beat to hell. What's wrong with my eye? Just some swelling. It should be fine in a day or so. Your left foot and ankle aren't too good, but they did a real job on it when you were brought in. There will probably be some rehab, but you aren't going to lose it or anything. Right leg was pretty clean tissue damage, as gunshots go. You lost a lot of blood. But we've already got you on the mend there. And you've probably got bruised ribs from the hit you took in the back. But your body armor saved you from anything worse. Thank God. She breathed out. Thomas was still standing there. As he had warned, Gwyn didn't seem to notice the strange man-in-chain mail at all. Gwyn came over to go through the routine of checking her vitals. Then the medic pulled the usual penlight-in-the-eyes thing. I suppose there's no need to ask if you know your name or where you are. He mused as he put the light away. I'm Madonna and we're all in Disneyland, right? Morgan answered. But I gotta tell you, the rides here suck balls. Yeah, but what I wouldn't give for dinner at the Blue Bayou right now. Gwynne smiled. We thought for sure you had a major concussion on top of everything else, but I guess that was a rush to judgment. You seem pretty lucid even with the painkillers. Huh. How about that? Morgan mumbled. Well, there are people who wanted to know when you were awake. Do you need anything before I go off to spread the good news? Just some water, she said. And can I sit up in this thing at all? He smiled and passed her the control for the bed. You lucked out and got one of the powered beds. Gwen told her, I'll be back with some water in a moment. Morgan got the bed moving up as Nguyen left. She realized then that Thomas was holding out a wooden cup. I would think his appearance odd, Thomas said. But then I am staring at a bed that moves on its own, and you were brought here in a cart that had no horses. And something flew in the sky with people inside of it. She looked up at him curiously. He's Vietnamese, the cart is called a car, and you probably saw a helicopter. She took the cup from his hands and took a gulp. Then it was time to go back to being suspicious. Thank you. Okay, two questions. Where are you from? Normandy. Right, sorry. I meant when? When are you supposed to be from? Thomas thought for a moment on how to answer. I went on the crusade called by the Pope to free the Holy Land from the Saracens. He explained slowly. It was summer, and we had just taken Antioch. That was when I was bound into the vessel that held me until you freed me. What vessel? What are you talking about? Thomas reached down for something in the chair. He showed her the bottle that she had grabbed in the store with all the intricate line patterns. It was barely recognizable as a bottle any longer, what with all the dents and cracks. This was to hold me until some worthy soul figured out how to get it open. A test of wisdom as well as worth. Many had tried, but... No one ever considered simply breaking it open on a man's head before now, he explained with a wry smirk. Are you still bound to that thing? Morgan asked. It didn't look like it could hold much of anything anymore. No, Thomas answered. I am bound to you. Okay, that's a little creepy. I will do all that I can to make this easy for you. I do not wish to cause you discomfort, Morgan grumbled. Interviewing people was a major aspect of her job. She handled both Iraqi subjects and American and Allied servicemen. She handled the liars. She handled the nut jobs. She watched for body language, for inconsistencies, for tells. Her training and experience had made her very good at sniffing out lies. For all his wild claims, Thomas struck her as completely genuine. And then there was the gold brick, the instant pain relief. The weighing Gwynne didn't see him at all, which led to her other concern. So how do I know that I'm not just crazy in imagining all this? She asked. Again, Thomas paused before he answered. How would anyone ever know for certain that the world was real and not of their own imagining? Guess you've got a point there. Morgan sighed. I saw men in a flying metal cart today. Thomas reminded her with a touch of humor in his voice. I could ask you much the same question. Have I heard correctly that we are in Baghdad? Yeah, Morgan nodded. What the hell, she figured. If I've gone this far off the deep end this suddenly, at least my delusions are kind of cute. It's, uh, it's the year 2009, and we're in Baghdad. But you should be careful talking about the Crusades around here. That was 900 years ago, and people here are still pretty pissed about it. You are yourself part of a foreign army here then, yes? We're from the United States. That's um, that's a land that hadn't even been discovered yet when you were born. But my country invaded Iraq. Baghdad. About six years ago. And the people here are still pretty pissed about it, she added wryly. I would imagine, Thomas nodded. I have many questions, if you would be willing to indulge me. Yeah. Probably not right away, though. We're not gonna be alone long. No, Thomas agreed. Your name is Lady Anderson? Morgan, she corrected. Call me Morgan. No lady business. You don't wish me to call you mistress or something more formal? Hell no, Morgan chuckled. That'd be weird. Kinky. Maybe later, but not right now. I mean you're cute and all, but... She paused watching him look away for a moment. You can really do whatever I ask for? There are limitations. I have never used these abilities before, and am only learning them now. Witnesses will complicate anything that I might do and make magic unreliable. We will both have to learn as we go. Can you get rid of the beard? The mustache? She asked. A moment later, his facial hair vanished as if he had a fresh shave. Fix your teeth? Make them nice and straight and healthy? Thomas blinked, reaching up to his mouth for a moment, and then when his fingers fell away and he offered a soft smile, Morgan smiled back. Definitely handsome, she decided. Thank you, he said quietly. You're gonna need different clothes, too. That chain mail is freaking me out. Can you give yourself clothes like the other guys out there wear? A uniform? Thomas cracked his knuckles. He inhaled deeply, closed his eyes, and soon he seemed to fade for a moment until he was wearing standard desert BDUs. The name tag said, Anderson, and his insignia were identical to those she wore on her own uniform. Well, you can get rid of the shirt. Morgan smirked. A black t-shirt would look good on you. Like the guys out there wear under their uniform shirts, but black. A moment later, Thomas was dressed exactly as she wanted. Morgan's grin had his face reddening. You're blushing, she observed. This is a bit awkward, he admitted. I'm sorry, Morgan shrugged. I didn't mean to embarrass you, Thomas shook his head. I will be fine. Do not concern yourself. I am your servant. It would not be so if you were not worthy of my power or my trust. There are worse things than to have a woman such as you tell me that I am handsome. Such as me? She smirked. You may be bruised, but I can still see that you are very beautiful. Ha! Huh? Morgan laughed, and then coughed. You're just saying that cause I've got all my teeth and I don't have any scars from the pox. These are no small things. They are where I'm from, she replied dryly. I've been told I'm pretty before, but well... Thank you. You're quite welcome. Can you fix what's wrong with me? My foot and stuff? He nodded. Again, witnesses make magic somewhat unreliable, but if they arrive after the work is done, there is no issue. Since it seemed clear that you would survive, I did not want to take action without your leave. Probably for the best. God knows I wouldn't be able to answer those questions. She thought for a moment. You're really a genie and you're really going to serve me? Yes. And I'm not limited to just three wishes? Why would there be a limit? Never mind. And you're not going to try to twist my wishes around to fuck me over with them? Or fuck over someone else? He paused to consider her strange phrases. Why would I do any of that? All right. Just keep quiet then. We have to play this subtle until I figure out what to do with you. And you'd better get rid of this. She added, tapping the gold bar. A moment later, it vanished into thin air. They both fell silent for a moment. Morgan listened for activity outside her door as she thought. What did you mean, worthy? I took up the sword for Christ, but found myself serving only cruel, greedy men. Thomas answered with a touch of guilt in his voice. Men who would slaughter one another for Saracen plunder, to say nothing of what they did to the Saracens. It was folly. All of it. Good people on both sides died for no good reason. When I, I was as good as dead when I was offered the chance to become what I am. I agreed, but only if I might serve someone who was of good and just heart. My conditions were met, Thomas finished with a shrug. You look sad, he observed. So do you. It is a sad story. She reached out to touch his hand. There were voices coming down the hall, voices she recognized. Maybe you'll get a happy ending out of it. They looked at one another, and then she released his hand as the voices grew near. He took it as his cue to step into a corner. Besides, she added with a grin, You're really hot. Nguyen returned. Thomas, confused, raised his hand to his head to see if he was feverish, but soon others in the room distracted him from such concerns. Among the people with Nguyen, one stood out among the rest. He was a big man, dark-skinned and completely bald, and the authority with which he moved was instantly recognizable even to Thomas. The man had something of a smile playing at his lips. Thomas glanced to Morgan, who inhaled sharply and even tried to sit up. Colonel Wallace, she began. Just relax, Morgan, he said with a deep voice that resonated with a gentleness that seemed somehow out of place to Thomas. He had a hand up to indicate that she should relax. It's not like there's a regulation for laying in the infirmary at attention. Yes, sir, Morgan said, sinking back only slightly. Mind if I sit? he asked. Please, she answered quietly. The older man claimed the chair next to Morgan's bed. The other people stayed standing near the doorway. How are you feeling? I've been better, but I could be a lot worse, sir. You had one hell of a day. Sir? She simply nodded back. Is everyone else okay, sir? They're gonna be fine. He smiled softly. Largely thanks to you. Gomez was in charge, sir. I just followed his lead. Gomez didn't take out an RPG and then pick a grenade up out of his lap and huck it back out the door. Wallace countered. You saved everyone in your vehicle, and really the one in front of it, too. He paused, then added. They were going for prisoners, Morgan. That's why they didn't just bomb and run. It hung there for a moment. There were no illusions about what would have happened to anyone who had been captured. Gomez saw what you did when they grabbed you, Morgan. He said that move with the grenade was about the gutsiest thing he's ever seen. The guy you pulled it off of survived and told us what you did, too, and let me tell you, he thinks you're nuts. And that other prisoner you took isn't gonna be a happy camper once he recovers from the concussions you gave him. Wallace couldn't help but chuckle. Jesus, Morgan, what did you hit him with anyway? Some old bottle, she said. Morgan was still just enough off her game to glance reflexively at the battered bottle on her nightstand. Wallace saw it, noticing the bottle for the first time. He picked it up and looked at it oddly. Now how'd that get in here? He asked. The colonel glanced back at Gwyn, who simply shrugged. "'I suppose one of the medics who took care of her might have brought it along,' he said. "'I don't know.' Morgan said nothing. The moment gave her pause. If she really was just hallucinating about Thomas, if she really was crazy then she had to be pretty far gone to have other people interact consistently with her delusions. As Wallace shrugged and put the bow back, she glanced at Thomas who only shrugged with embarrassment. I think you and I know what was really impressive about this, though. Wallace went on. Sir? Sergeant Randall already came down and retrieved your gear. Wallace explained. And Morgan's basically okay. The MPs have already rounded up our suspects. Morgan, I don't know how you got that woman to talk, but you did a damn good job today. A damn good job. That's good to know, sir. Morgan nodded. Captain Smalls wanted me to convey his thanks too. Hard to do an investigation on your own guys, but once he saw the weight of the evidence, he made up his mind pretty quick. Wallace laid his hand on Morgan's and squeezed it. I think she'll testify if she has to, sir, Morgan told him. Yeah, well, if they have any sense, they'll plead guilty before it comes to that. Otherwise they're gonna have to face both her and you at their court-martial, and I wouldn't wish that on anybody after today. Morgan tried not to blush. It wasn't easy. Thank you, sir. She said quietly. He just nodded, then patted her hand, and fell silent for a moment. So the doctor tells me that you might be laid up for a while with the leg. He went on. You'll walk again, he says, but it's going to be some months before you're fit for full duty again if ever. He added honestly. And as I recall your enlistment is up before that. In March, sir. Morgan nodded right after we're due to rotate back out. Terminal leave has me out in early March. Well, then, you've got some things to think about, Wallace told her gently. I know you weren't seriously considering re-enlisting. I'd probably question your sanity if today's festivities changed your mind. He smiled wryly. Probably not, sir, she admitted, returning his smile. That's too bad. That purple heart you just earned counts toward promotions. Wallace winked. Morgan snorted ruefully. Well, nobody's gonna move you for a couple days at least, and we're going to need to wrap up your current workload in any case. You'll probably have more than a few visitors, and we'll make sure you aren't bored or lonely. Morgan chuckled. I'm sure I won't be lonely, sir. She stole a glance at Thomas, who remained quiet and unnoticed in the corner. I'm sure. She should probably have some rest for now, sir. Gwynne spoke up. Wallace shared an eye roll with Morgan. Medics, he smirked, but stood up as suggested. As he turned to leave, shooing his entourage out of the room, Wallace stole another look at her. You know, he said, I know six or seven guys right now who are alive thanks to you. There's a whole pack of insurgents who won't be hurting anyone else anymore. Three scumbags are gonna go to Leavenworth for rape, and the woman they hurt is gonna know that. And the next fool who pipes up in Congress or on TV about how women don't belong in combat is gonna hear your name when he gets shut down. That's pretty good for a day's work. Morgan's breath came out with a quiver. She bit her lip for a second, trying to blink away the tear in her eye, but gave up on it. Thank you, sir, she said in a wavering voice. The etiquette for the moment was all wrong for it, but she saluted anyway. Wallace returned the salute holding both it and Morgan's gaze for a moment longer than necessary, then headed out again. She was alone then. Morgan let out a single, shuddering sob, bringing her hand to her mouth to keep it from quivering. A second tear fell, and then a third. Morgan looked around for a tissue box there had to be one end. As she reached for it, saw Thomas still standing there quietly in the corner. Sorry. She mumbled after she blew her nose and regained her composure. Why? just embarrassing. Morgan shrugged. Is that man your liege? He's my CO. She answered, then immediately realized Thomas wouldn't understand. We don't swear loyalty to individual people. Colonel Wallace is in charge of my unit. My group of soldiers. And he's, he's about the best leader I've ever known. He's very proud of you. Thomas noted simply. Yeah. Came her shaken reply. Yeah, I guess so. He doesn't. That meant a lot from him. Thomas didn't say anything after that, allowing Morgan a moment to regain her composure. You can really fix me up? She asked. I can. Thomas nodded. I could do it instantly, and create illusions for others showing injuries. I believe I could create the impression of rapid but normal natural healing if we take some time to be subtle about it. Morgan thought for a moment. She looked around for something. What can I get you? Thomas asked. Nothing, she said. Just nothing at the moment. Give me a second. There was a mirror hanging on a nearby wall. She'd have preferred to see up close, but she would have to take what she could get in that moment. Morgan then peeled the tape and gauze away from her left eye, revealing the ugly swelling and bruising. As she suspected, she couldn't really open it. She turned to Thomas. Fix this, she said, pointing to her eye. Thomas reached out for the side of her face. Over the course of a few heartbeats, Morgan felt the swelling decrease and found herself able to open the eye on her own. She was able to see with it just fine. In the mirror, her eye looked completely unharmed. She glanced up at Thomas again, who looked down at her quietly. It made her lose her train of thought. For that moment... All she could think was that she very much liked the way he looked at her. Okay, do whatever will make that look natural. Morgan instructed. I don't really want all that bruising back, but whatever will seem like good progress without being strange or suspicious is fine. He touched the side of her face again. And the rest? He asked. We'll have to get to that later. Morgan said. I have something else for you to do right now. I don't suppose you can speak Arabic? I can learn very, very quickly. Thomas nodded. Ranine took her time washing the dishes. She had kept herself busy with cleaning ever since that ugly night, taking care of the kitchen, clothing, linens and anything else she could find. Her family's small home had never been cleaner. It had become a chore just to find things to do. Mostly, she wanted to clean herself but her mother and father had both finally told her that this could only go so far before it was unhealthy. There were people who would say that one such as her could never really be clean again, but Reni knew that those people were themselves simply ignorant and cruel. She knew that in her head, but it was hard to tell that to her gut. Until tonight, her cleaning habits had always come on with great energy. She focused on little things, little stains, trying to wipe or scrape away anything that was out of place to the point that she sometimes wondered if she imagined it. Tonight, though, she took her time. Her hands didn't shake. She was still cleaning, of course, but for once, she wasn't afraid to think while she washed the dishes. Ranine had been mortified when the Americans came that morning. Her parents weren't going to let them in, and were enraged at her brother for having told them what had happened. They had themselves lived for a very long time in a world where one simply didn't speak of the things that soldiers did. Her brother, so enraged at what had happened to Ranine, couldn't stop himself .i in the end. Either could Ranine. The woman soldier with the green eyes had an expression to her face that was unmistakable. Compassion, but not pity. She pleaded to Ranine pleaded with her, no intimidation, no threats, just please not to let the other soldiers get away with what they had done not to let them do it again to someone else. For the first time in so many nights, each of them seemingly endless, Ranine felt like she might have some sort of power, some sort of way to fight back. All she had to do, the woman soldier said, was to tell her story. And so Ranine brought the woman soldier, Morgan, into a small room and fought back her tears and her fear and told her story. When it was done, Morgan asked Ranine if she could tell it again to others. After a moment's thought, Ranine decided that she could. She could not fight off three armed men, but she could certainly speak. Better to die, she decided, than to stay silent. It was one thing, though, to speak to Americans about Americans. They would someday leave. They had to leave someday. Ranine didn't relish the idea of facing her neighbors, though, or what they might say. She hadn't really left her family's home since it happened. She was thinking about this when there was a tap at the window. Ranine jumped a bit, startling as it was, but felt strangely unafraid. She looked out of the kitchen to her family, who sat in the next room talking Hassan apparently hadn't yet absorbed enough of their father's wrath but they did not seem to have heard the knock. Against common sense, perhaps, ranine moved over to the window and opened it. Standing outside was a lone soldier, unarmed and with his hands out in the open. "'Morgan sent me,' he said simply. Ranine blinked. "'What do you want?' she asked. "'Morgan asked me to look in on you,' he said. "'Are you all right?' "'I am fine,' she said, but frowned. "'Are you alone? "'You have no gun. "'Aren't you afraid?' "'The soldier shook his head. "'No one will see me,' he told her. "'Morgan asked me to look in on you and tell you not to be afraid.' There will be no trouble from your neighbors. I have seen to it. Ranine frowned. His words had the ring of truth to it, but still she asked. How can you be sure? You will have to trust me. He shrugged. But please, don't be afraid. You are going to be fine. I am also to tell you that Morgan was in a battle today, but she is fine. If you hear about it, don't worry. She was hurt, but it isn't bad. She was hurt. Ranine said. May I see her? The soldier shrugged. I will ask her, but I suspect that could be arranged. He paused. Morgan wanted me to tell you that you are very brave. Ranine blinked. Tell her thank you, she said, and tell her that I will pray for her. The soldier bowed. Ranine thought this was strange she hadn't ever seen American soldiers bow, but she nodded her head. And as it seemed like her conversation was ended, she closed the window. The dishes were done. There was nothing left to clean and no need. Renine moved through the kitchen, joined her family in the other room, and listened to her father tell her beloved brother in all sorts of new and amusing ways how stupid he was sometimes. It was the first time Renine had laughed in many seemingly endless nights. Her father, mother and brother all noticed, but did not say anything. Instead, her father continued to rant at Hassan for another half hour. Renine laughed more. Her father was quite good at this that Hassan's intellect was compared to that of various animals, vegetables and rocks. But as it brought the first smile he had seen from his sister in so long, he didn't really mind. All talk of betrayal and collaboration with the Americans ceased in the neighborhood that night. It happened in one house after another, suddenly and with finality. But no one actually took notice. The subject simply changed. The fighters who came through to investigate reports of American soldiers interviewing a family never found out what family it had been, or why, and quickly forgot about the whole thing. The sickness that threatened Ranine would never take hold. It disappeared from her body without her ever knowing she had been infected. It was simply gone, as if the men had never touched her in the first place. That couldn't be remedied, of course. Thomas had the power to erase it from everyone's memory, to undo the damage done and make it as if it had never happened, but Morgan had counseled against that. It was a moral quandary for her, but in the end there was too much that could go beyond Thomas's control. Erasing the past was a tricky thing. Ensuring that one could survive it, however, was more reliably done. That was bound to happen without his aid, but magic certainly didn't hurt. Thomas slipped into the small home again when Ranine finally went to bed, unseen and unheard as he passed through walls and peered unhindered through the darkness. He helped her get to sleep, and when that was settled, he helped her through her nightmares. Fewer and fewer of them would trouble her in the nights to come dot he would go back, Morgan had said, once she had thought things through more thoroughly. But in the meantime, the family would be safe from reprisal or illness or accident. The healing had begun before Thomas had ever even shown up. He wasn't there to fix things. He was just there to make it all a little easier. As he returned to the base and the infirmary, Thomas thought back to Antioch and the warnings of the old man. There were men who rode in flying metal carts here, and other carts that rolled on with no horses to pull them, and women who fought with an army that would follow orders from men of dark skin. The world had changed so very much. The old man had warned him that it would take a long time to find a worthy master or mistress. But as Thomas found Morgan asleep in her bed, he felt no regret. This woman seemed very much worth the wait. Chapter 02 The next day Baghdad, Iraq. Oh, thank God. I thought it was gonna be oatmeal or grits. Hey, you ain't that busted up, said the other soldier as he placed the tray over Morgan's lap. And I don't know about you Intel types, but torture's illegal in this hospital. Morgan smiled as the soldier left, then leaned forward to smell her breakfast. "Wow," she said. "I don't think this came off the assembly line." She poured the cup of syrup over her pancakes, swirled the lump of butter around the top, and then pulled off a forkful to put in her mouth. Her eyes closed; they had removed the eye patch early in the morning and her smile became serene. When her eyes opened again, they turned to Thomas, who had returned to his seat. Every time someone came in the room, he got up in case they would want the chair. But whenever they were alone, he took up the spot again. It was where he was when she awoke. You ever had pancakes? What, bread? We had bread, he shrugged. The sauce you are using is strange, though. She pointed with her fork. Pancakes, not bread. The sauce is maple syrup. The white stuff is just butter, and the yellow lumpy stuff is eggs. I know what eggs and butter are, Thomas said gently. "Here," Morgan told him. She cut off another lump of pancakes with her fork. Open your mouth, she instructed, and then fed him his first taste of pancakes with maple syrup, along with a long moment of eye contact. MMH, Thomas blinked, chewing slowly. That is very good. I think you're gonna like modern food. Morgan smiled, then cocked her head curiously. So okay, genie man. Do you need to eat? Sleep? All that stuff? He shrugged. I'll know when I get hungry or tired, I suppose. I haven't been either, though I'm not surprised that I am not tired. I've been in a dream state for hundreds of years, after all. But you're not hungry either? Now that I think about it and there's food in front of me, I am. Thomas nodded. Famished, actually. Well, good, cause I'm not gonna be able to eat all of this. Morgan decided to put some scrambled eggs in his mouth, too. They're probably gonna think it's weird if I order up enough food here for two people, though, so you might have to go find the mess hall and swipe something all on your own. Or just order it, if you can show yourself. I can show myself, Thomas said after swallowing. What is a mess hall? Morgan snorted. Oh man, this is gonna be a constant thing, isn't it? I don't suppose you could just magic up an understanding of the modern world, could you? Maybe pull it out of my head or something. Her secret companion shook his head ruefully. No. It would appear that language is one thing, but knowing what is in another person's mind is quite another. I affected Ranine's dreams by speaking to her as she slept. I can misdirect attention and make things easily forgotten, but that would appear to be the limits of my ability to affect the mind. Fair enough, Morgan said. She continued eating, finding herself increasingly happy to have him around. He was pleasant, friendly, cute, adorably lost amid electric lights and modern medicine, and sincerely eager to please her. So okay. You can make yourself invisible to people and you can heal me, and you can make gold out of nothing. What else can you do? Anything? As he opened his mouth to reply, Morgan grinned excitedly. Wait, wait, don't tell me. You can't kill anybody, you can't make anybody fall in love with anybody else, and you can't bring back the dead? He blinked thoughtfully, yet with a little confusion. Sorry. Childhood movie reference. And you don't even know what a movie is. Wow, I'm just making this more and more complicated, aren't I? Yes. Sorry. I feel perfectly capable of killing, Thomas said after a moment's consideration. I don't plan on asking you to, Morgan replied quickly. I suppose that's good, he shrugged. As for the rest, yes, I doubt that I could raise the dead. As far as making a person love someone, I suppose I would have to try. His mistress shook her head. Sorry, that was a tangent. But what else can you do? The old man told me that matters of the soul were very difficult to affect with magic, which leads me to believe that love would be difficult, though not attraction. I cannot simply create a soul, so I would not be able to create a person from nothing. He paused. Or animals. Though I believe I could create convincing illusions of both that would affect all senses. Plants? Surely. Turn back time? Travel through time? No. He said after a moment's consideration. I wouldn't know where to begin in even trying. You had that gold brick. Did you create that, or did it come from somewhere? I created it. I believe I could create most anything that you asked for, as long as I understood what it was. I could create more maple syrup for you now that I know what it is. He added slowly as he considered it. Morgan watched him think. It seemed now that he didn't know all of his own powers but at the same time it was interesting to see him try to explain it. Given her work in interpreting and interviewing, she understood how difficult it was to communicate concepts when a common frame of reference was sketchy at best. Thomas may have been a common foot soldier 900 years ago, but he seemed naturally bright. My ability to heal includes some degree of manipulating the body. He went on. He seemed to be staring at her chest, which, Morgan considered wasn't exactly flattered by her hospital gown. You will die of a wasting illness in twenty years, perhaps somewhat more. Her eyes went wide. Um, can you fix that? I can, Thomas said, and after a moment with his eyes closed, he corrected. I have. That's nice. Morgan grunted. She didn't feel any different. But as long as she was going along with all this and everything told her that Thomas was for real, then it was certainly a sudden relief. Had you lost your foot or leg from yesterday's battle, I could have restored it. Thomas continued. I could make you look different. Make you healthier. These would be real changes, not mere illusions. You picked up modern English and Arabic pretty quickly, Morgan noted. Do you think you can learn other things that fast? Thomas merely shrugged, leaving Morgan to ponder it. Sixty-three weeks at DLI to learn Arabic, and you pick it up in a few minutes. She grumbled. What is DLI? Defense Language Institute. Morgan answered as she pushed her plate away. There was still some food on it. She offered it to Thomas, who happily accepted it. It's a school in my country where they teach foreign languages to the military and diplomats and such. Do they send all warriors there? Thomas blinked. No, she chuckled. Not even close. Just people who are likely to need the training, which admittedly is several hundred people at a time. That seems like a long time to spend on learning a language. How much time do you spend learning to fight? Morgan snorted. That depends on how much of your job is fighting. Most soldiers don't specialize in fighting anymore so much as doing all the things it takes to support those who do the real fighting. Everybody trains to fight to varying degrees, but, well, there's a lot that can vary there. Like with me, I'm a woman, so I can't be in a frontline fighting specialty in the first place. So while I was taught to fight, I didn't get nearly as much training as someone in the infantry would. Ah, you were ambushed yesterday, Thomas remembered. You didn't go out looking for the enemy. Not so much, no. What do you do as a soldier then, if you do not fight? You are here as an interpreter? Largely. Morgan nodded. My job is counterintelligence. I was what's called a human intelligence collector before that. I'm supposed to help figure out what the enemy is going to do before he does it. And I'm supposed to help catch his spies. But a lot of that is about talking to people so I have to know the language. And since I know the language, I get pulled to do all sorts of other tasks that aren't always about my job. Like dealing with Ranine yesterday. Thomas said. Exactly. The men who attacked her were military police. They're supposed to be the ones to catch our own soldiers when they break the law. But since they're the lawbreakers here, we didn't want to use one of their own people who speak Arabic to interview Ranine. That's how I got called into it and maybe it's arrogant of me to say, but I can't imagine too many other folks getting her to talk like I did. What will happen to them? Well, they're under arrest now and the crime was pretty serious, so they'll probably stay jailed until they go on trial, Morgan said. If they were civilians I mean, if they weren't soldiers and this had happened back in my homeland then they might have a good shot at getting out of trouble in their trial. But military justice isn't as easy to escape. They're definitely in trouble for stuff related to attacking Ranine, but I think they'll be found guilty of the attack itself, too. Will they be put to death? Nah. But they'll do hard time. They'll be in prison for years, and it'll be military prison. It won't be pleasant. And it'll be awfully hard to pick up and move on when they finally get out. She was quiet for a moment. Hardly seems like enough for what they did to her, but it's better than nothing, I guess. After a long moment, Thomas said quietly, Your army considers rape a grave crime. Supposed to anyway. Morgan sighed. It's not like guys don't get away with it sometimes. My army would hardly have cared at all. Morgan looked up at him, surprised at the look in his eyes. What about you? She dared to ask. I struck a serving girl once, before the crusade. I was drunk and angry and stupid. Thomas admitted. It was commonplace. Worse was commonplace. But I was horrified at what I had done. Most of my friends laughed at me and called me soft, and thought I was foolish to have made such a fuss over apologizing and trying to make amends. But I was foolish to hit her. I knew that the moment my hand landed. He looked Morgan in the eye. And I never struck a woman thereafter. But you went on the crusade, she said. You fought Muslims? I did. He nodded. It was what the church told us must be done. They told us the Muslims were evil, that they did not have souls, that they were servants of Satan, that fighting them would cleanse us of sin. What happened then? Morgan asked softly. You don't seem to think that now. Thomas shrugged. I realized they saw much the same evil in us. And in looking at my fellows, I could not argue the point. He inhaled deeply as if such things were difficult to say. I looked around at my fellow Christians and could not see any reason why one would want to accept Christ. Morgan reached out and found his hand. When he looked her in the eye again, she said, My country is mostly Christians. I was raised as a Christian, but I'm not terribly observant anymore. In my country, our very first law says that there can't be laws about religion. Nobody gets to tell anyone else what religion they have to be. We have many Muslims. We have many Jews. We have religions you've never heard of, and we have people who don't believe in a God at all. And we've got some real idiots, I'll admit, but most of my people would go nuts if someone really tried to force out one religion or another. The thought amazed him. How do you manage that? He asked. She grinned. It's a total pain in the ass sometimes. Morgan conceded. But we love it. I look forward to seeing it with you. Thomas smiled back quietly. We don't put up with slavery either, she said with even greater seriousness. It led to a civil war a long time before I was born. We'll lock a man up for a crime, put him to labor, but it's not slavery. We don't do that anymore. So that's kind of a problem here with you and I. I came to this state as a form of penance. Thomas assured her. There are reasons why only a worthy master could open my vessel or mistress. He corrected with a slight grin. My power comes largely from service. I am not sure how much I would be weakened if you were to set me free, but I know I would lose much. I would be utterly lost in this time. He fell silent, pondering a resolution to this. Surely your country permits willing service? It does. Morgan nodded slowly. You'll say something if you feel differently about this in the future? If that is your wish. He bowed slightly. When he raised his head, he added, Bear in mind how far I was willing to go in service to a mortal lord and my faith once before. I do not believe that I would be bound to you now if your nature was incompatible with my conscience. That was the point of the enchantment on the vessel. My faith may have been misled, and I can already tell you now that you are a far better person than my previous liege. I would not give my unconditional service again lightly, yet I swear it now to you. They were silent for a moment before Morgan took a long breath. Wow, she said. This conversation got awfully heavy. It did. Thomas agreed. I apologize. Not your fault. I imagine we both have a thousand more questions. Yeah. Well, I've got one more for now. Are you ever gonna go away? I wouldn't presume to be immortal, he said, but I will only ever leave you if you ask it of me. See, I'm not gonna want you hovering over my shoulder all the time. That's just creepy. Clingy, too. It's unattractive. I see your point. Thomas conceded. I can certainly come and go freely if that is your whim. You could always summon me at your wish. But my presence or absence is ultimately contingent upon your whim. He paused. And it would be difficult while you hold my hand. Morgan blushed and mumbled an apology as she started to turn back, but Thomas squeezed warmly. I don't mind. Her breath shook a bit, but her smile held. If anything, her face only reddened as he looked in her eyes. You're a charmer, she admitted. Not many have said so. Thank you. Did you have a wife? A woman at all? No one. Thomas shook his head. My family was poor. I admit that the crusade provided an opportunity to better myself. Faith was my motive, but to say I did not have small hopes of earthly rewards along the way would be a lie. So no women at all? Ever? Well, I didn't say that. Thomas chuckled with a hint of embarrassment. But I left no one behind. And you? A husband? Well, I've had boyfriends, Morgan said. But the last one, we were living together before I came out here. But just before I left I found out about his other woman. But we weren't married. We were, um, I'm not really much of a Christian when it comes to all that. Morgan confessed. Her grin shrank, but remained. I am no one to judge. Her companion shrugged. Surely I am damned for being tainted by heathen sorcery, anyway. I kinda doubt that. Do you want him back? Thomas asked gently. Morgan blinked in surprise as Thomas added. I don't believe I can make him fall in love, but I am certain I could help you in such a pursuit in many ways. No. Hell no. Morgan shook her head. He's an asshole. I don't want that. Thomas, that wouldn't bother you. You wouldn't feel weird about that. My first and only real loyalty is to you, Morgan, Thomas told her. If you have romantic interests, I stand at your service in pursuit of them. She eyed him for a long moment. She was good at reading people. Very good. It was, after all, at the heart of her job. As much as his gaze and his voice and those shoulders left her heart all aflutter, she was pretty sure she had a good read on Thomas.at least. That was what she told herself. The pair fell silent again, but their hands remained together and the gaze held. If I ask something of you that you object to, she said slowly, And I mean really object to because it'll hurt you or it feels wrong. Promise me you'll at least say something. I am not worried, Thomas answered. But I will speak my mind if that is your wish. His voice was as resolute as any gung-ho, can-do affirmation she ever heard from her comrades, yet he was considerably cooler about it. Command me without hesitation. Good. Cause I've got instructions. His mouth curved into a half-grin. I am at your service, milady. All right. So like you said, magic only really works if we keep it quiet, right? So it'd probably be a bad thing to have you just heal me. But this laying in the hospital when I can have myself fixed up just right is crap. Thomas nodded, listening as she spoke. Can you make sure we're not disturbed for a while? Give us some extended privacy? He thought about it for a moment, then rose and closed the door. He laid his hand upon the door for a moment, then nodded. Done. And nobody's gonna think that's odd? They'll presume that things are normal and that there is no need for alarm, Thomas said, though I wouldn't advise running with this deception for long. Not until I am more accustomed to your world and the expectations of those around you. Fair enough. Now can you heal me but fix it so nobody notices? He considered her wish. I could, he said. As I said, I can create elaborate illusions. I could heal you and ensure that those who looked upon you would still see the injuries you have now, or I could genuinely revert you to this state if it were truly necessary for secrecy. Ugh. Thank God. Okay, fix me right now, Morgan grinned. I want to be perfectly healthy again. Healthier than I've ever been. Thomas came to stand over her at the foot of the bed. He reached for her heavily bandaged and wrapped left foot, slowly running his hand around it, and her ankle, and her lower calf. Morgan felt her flesh stretch and knit in sensations that were decidedly odd yet not at all painful. Then his attention shifted. Morgan inhaled softly, watching him with bated breath as his hands moved to her right thigh. His touch was gentle and warm as he wrapped his hands around her knee and slowly slid upward. He went as far as the bandages around her gunshot wound, and then somewhat higher. But as muscles mended and skin grew over the wound, Morgan found herself thinking less about the wound and more about his hands. When those warm hands came away from her leg, she was almost a bit disappointed. But then his eyes met hers. She bit her lip. You're back, he said softly, reaching one hand under her right arm. Taking his meaning, Morgan sat up. Twisting a bit so he could place his healing touch on the ugly bruises from where her body armor had saved her from bullets. Again, she inhaled softly. Morgan realized that she was trembling. Thomas guided her down onto her back again. He finished as she knew he would, by reaching to the left side of her face. He looked in her eyes and yet just to the side of them as he worked his magic around her eye socket, which was still tender. She loved the way he looked at her. She never thought of herself as more than passingly pretty even when she was all made up for a date. Here she was beaten to hell and laying in a hospital bed, hair matted and well over a day past her last shower, and yet he seemed absolutely dazzled. Wow, she whispered. He responded with a humble smile until she said, I hope Renine wasn't embarrassed about being touched like that when you took care of her. His eyes widened. Morgan bit her grinning lip as his embarrassment became obvious. I hadn't, ah. He tried. "Uh Uh-huh. She nodded in a knowing tone. Hush. Next item. Can you make this bed bigger and more comfortable? Maybe a little more stable, too? Her genie grunted, happy to move on from her uncomfortable observation. Thomas raised his hands and stared for a moment at the bed. He then spread his hands out further to the sides and as he did so, Morgan felt and saw the bed stretch out in response. It was perhaps the most spectacular thing she'd seen out of him yet. The mattress thickened underneath her, and more pillows soon appeared. Morgan reached out to push down on the bed off to her sides to test it. Surely enough, it was all real. She looked back at him. And you can put everything back the way it was when I woke up this morning, right? She asked. The bed? My injuries? Thomas nodded slowly. As you wish, he said. Okay, she said, taking a deep breath. There's one other thing we've got to get settled between us, then. He turned his head curiously just as Morgan grabbed his shirt, pulled him in close and planted her lips upon his. Morgan had her other arm around his neck a heartbeat later. Thomas's shock quickly gave way to eager cooperation. They began devouring one another's kiss. Tongues and lips ravenously exploring as she pulled him down on top of her. It he left him halfway onto the bed and halfway off, bending over awkwardly. Morgan breathed out a laugh, then hissed, "Here!" Slipping a hand onto his belt and tugging meaningfully. Thomas didn't ask for clarification. He didn't ask if she was sure. He swung one foot onto the bed, then the other, allowing his boots to vanish as he crawled over his mistress and resumed their hungry kiss. The more Morgan explored, the more pleased she became. She untucked and then pulled off his shirt, which led to a break in their kiss. Morgan got a good look at the lean, hardened muscles that her hands had already discovered. When her eyes turned back up to his, all she saw was desire. Her fingers trailed down his chest, his abs, and down to his belt buckle, which she discovered was a bit too tight and awkward at this angle Dot he didn't let go of her gaze as he drew one hand from behind her neck to help her with that. The hand then fell down to her side, pulling down the bedsheet underneath her. His touch gave her a shiver, but the way he had wordlessly helped her with the belt was a bigger thrill. It removed all ambiguity over how he might feel about this or how far he was willing to go. Morgan kept his gaze. She unbuttoned and loosened his pants while his hand slipped up her bare leg, under her hospital gown along her hip and above. His other hand did the same. Morgan felt her whole body tremble with delight as he slowly raised her hospital gown. There had to be magic at work here after all. She should have been pinning it down at the back, yet it lifted away easily. She watched as Thomas looked upon her bared skin and the brown strip of hair running up from between her legs. If she felt flattered by his assessment of her looks last night, she felt like an absolute goddess now. There was wonder in his eyes as he took in the full sight of her, casting her hospital gown aside. Wonder, and an almost reverent lust. Morgan gasped as he touched her firm, pert breast, turning into his hand with a shudder. Her nipple was so sensitive to his gentle fingers that he had her moaning aloud in moments. She raised one leg along his, which was now sensibly bare. Her fingertips once more ran down his torso, and when they came to his groin, she discovered even greater joy than the touch of his hands. It was Thomas' turn to inhale and have his eyes flutter uncontrollably as she caressed his rigid cock. Her other hand hooked around his neck again to bring him in close for another kiss. As their bodies writhed, she let go of his cock, which was soon positioned teasingly between her legs. Morgan felt its head and shaft slide down the length of her wet lips— causing her to whimper in delight. It slid back and forth across her labia as they kissed. Nothing was rushed. Morgan writhed in the luxury of his touch, dearly loving the sensations he gave her between her legs even as his hands and lips indulged the rest of her body. Before long, she was ready to beg him to fuck her. Openly panting and gasping, Morgan's quivering mouth was just about to form the words when she felt him change the angle just enough to allow his cock head the thrill of penetration. He pushed in further. Morgan let out a breath of pure rapture as he split her open, sinking into her sex slowly enough to let them both savor the moment. She wrapped her arms around him, holding him close and inviting more as her legs spread to welcome him within her. Her mouth found his once again, and remained there as his cock withdrew and then invaded her once more. His pace was slow and deliberate, increasing only as her need built. Somewhere along the way, the pleasure became too much for her to keep kissing him. Morgan's head rested back on the pillow, and she began to breathe in lustful tones as Thomas gradually became more intense in his attentions. She lost track of the room around her, forgot entirely about the bandages around her legs, ignored everything except her lover's embrace and the ecstasy of constant, forceful penetration. Morgan clung to him as her body began to tremble. Her limbs tightened and constricted and before long she gasped, then whimpered, then moaned joyously as climax overtook her. Thomas only slowed, allowing her to enjoy it, but as her spasms finally subsided his cock continued thrusting into her. She didn't complain. She expected to be too tender for more, but she felt great. And as Thomas looked down upon her and grinned she remembered through the haze of satisfaction that his magic was literal die was too good. He would have her coming again soon, she realized. She felt every inch of him inside her as acutely as if every thrust were his first, and even so her pleasure continued to build. If this was any indication, he'd have her coming over and over. Thomas, she breathed. Her whole body practically vibrated with sensual ecstasy. "'Morgan?' he whispered back. "'Fill me,' she said, and moments later she threw her head back into the pillow to grunt out another orgasm. Morgan heard his breathing come out in gasps even over her own noises. She could hear and feel a delicious new wetness where their bodies joined. Her head swimming and her heart pounding, Morgan's eyes met Thomas's again, and the two shared a slightly embarrassed but eager grin. "'More?' he huffed. "'Yes.' Morgan answered, clinging to him still. She wrapped her legs around his waist to emphasize her lust. God, yes! It was nice of him, she thought, to pretend she was in any way in control of this. Her vocabulary was quite limited for a while. It was largely made up only of enticements, invitations, demands and thanks. Thomas didn't let up. He didn't need to, she knew, and what's more he seemed able to read her needs. Thomas alternated between sliding in and out of her slowly and gently, leaving her a quivering mass of satisfaction, and fucking her with a single-minded animal focus that let her forget all about the army, about Iraq, about anything but sheer lustful pleasure and genuine affection. Morgan's first full day in the hospital was one of vigorous physical activity. But as the sun began to set she felt better than she ever had in her entire life, Thomas lay stretched out on top of her, holding her. Hands above her head as they kissed, and he thrust into her now sopping wet sex, her legs had long given out, whereas she spent much of the morning with her thighs encouragingly guiding his hips. They were now spread wide in abject and willing surrender. It shouldn't have been possible for him to keep up that pace in this position with his hips meeting hers with abandon while the rest of him pressed against her with controlled sensuality. But there it was, mova Morgan moaned into his mouth. She had no idea how many times she had come for him, but every time it was longer and better than anything she had ever experienced, and she was near to doing it again. Thomas, bless him, slowed perfectly, giving her a long and deep fucking that would doubtlessly stretch out the inevitable climax. Morgan felt for a moment like he had completely mastered her cunt, and she wanted to fall down on her knees and thank him for it, maybe, someday. If she ever got tired of him demonstrating that mastery— which would certainly be the first Tuesday after never. His body began to tighten and quiver, and so did hers. Sometimes he came with her, sometimes he did not. Although Morgan loved the luxury of being set off all on her own she felt an intimate, naughty delight in Thomas coming inside her, as if it were some secret pleasure that other people had never known and would be scandalized to hear of. It was the sexiest thing in the world. When that release came, Morgan let out one breathless moan of ecstasy after another. The rush of Thomas filling her only added to her satisfaction. When she was finally able, her lips found his again, kissing him gratefully. Thank you, she said hoarsely. Thank you. Thank you, Thomas replied with an appreciative grin. He released her arms to prop himself up on his elbows. I would not have presumed to share this. Ha! Morgan grinned. Don't tell me you didn't have this on your mind. And you're not supposed to lie to me. He shook his head. It's not a lie, just. At the sight of Morgan's knowing grin, Thomas relented. I wanted you, yes. From the moment they laid you in this bed. Having had you, I want you still. But I would not have presumed to make the first advance. She kissed his neck softly. As your mistress, I will grant you a certain degree of leeway for certain presumptions. Then she giggled, and Thomas found himself chuckling along with her as he held her. Wow, Morgan sighed finally. We should stop. Um, shouldn't we? I am at your service, Thomas shrugged. If you want to continue, I can ensure we are both up for it as we have been all day. No, I mean. Oh, I'd like that. I'd really like that. I don't think I'm ever gonna get tired of you. God, we've only even tried one position. But I think I've gotta check in with reality here. There was a bit of a bow of his head. As you wish, he said before he gently and affectionately slid out of and off of her. Morgan made a bit of a pouty face at that, and Thomas paused until she waved him off. Okay. You've gotta clean us up, and this bed, and put things back to normal. She stretched backward, throwing her arms over her head and closing her eyes. But don't you dare let me lose this awesomely fucked feeling I've got right now, or I'll dash. As her eyes opened, she found herself at a loss for words. Her bed was back to normal. She was, as she instructed, back to her slightly grungy but not sweaty, wound-riddled self. And Thomas was dressed in his semi-uniform clothes once more. That was fast. She blinked. I appear to be getting better with my powers. Thomas shrugged. Morgan threw him a naughty grin of obvious eagerness. I'm gonna look forward to experiencing that, she said. They shared another laugh, and finally Morgan began to really consider the world outside her hospital room. Okay. I need you to do some more stuff for me. Anything. Thomas bowed, still smiling. For all the heaviness of their earlier discussions that morning— He was plainly enjoying his time with her now. I need you to open up this room again and make sure that we haven't raised any suspicion. If we have, I need you to allay any worries, okay? Gotta ensure we're all clear. You might have to encourage whoever's supposed to look in on me to come get it all out of the way. He nodded. And then? Well, while you're gone, I'm gonna see about calling a couple of people in my unit to get some of my stuff brought over here, if it's not already outside waiting for me. I need to see about calling home and stuff. Morgan paused. A thought overtook her. I'm gonna be out of the army soon, she said, and you're coming with me. I am, Thomas agreed, and you're a genie. I am, she grinned. This is gonna be fucking awesome. Chapter 03 Later that night Baghdad, Iraq. So it could have been much, much worse. Major Bundari continued. She traced out several small lines on the X-ray photograph of Morgan's ankle. From what I surmise, either one of the hostiles had fallen in between your leg and the grenade when it blew, or you're simply phenomenally lucky to have caught so little in the way of burns and shrapnel. I have to say I leaned toward the former. Well, better lucky than good, right? Morgan replied. She deliberately looked at the doctor sitting in the chair next to her bed because looking at Thomas's expression of amazement at the x-ray was going to make her giggle. She couldn't help but smile as it was. I will take luck any day. Major Bundari nodded. Her accent was still closer to her Indian-schooled queen's English than that of her American comrades, and the doctor's coat she wore looked much more fitting on her than her fatigues. Morgan felt an instant liking for Major Bundari. She had an excellent bedside manner, Bundari skipped straight to calling Morgan by her name rather than rank right off the bat. And it's also good to see you in good spirits. I can't complain about getting to lay in bed all day. Morgan shrugged with a slight grin. She flashed a wink at Thomas that the doctor didn't notice. You may be the only person in this hospital who feels that way. Bundari mused soberly. Morgan's grin disappeared. She was silent as the doctor wrote notes on her clipboard. Thomas noted Morgan's crestfallen expression with concern but said nothing that might make it difficult to pretend he wasn't present. So, Bundari went on, you'll be laid up for a couple of weeks, give or take, and you'll have to be on very light duty for a couple of months after that possibly three, though you're already doing marvelously. Given that I have to say, you won't be here in Baghdad much longer. I can't say when you'll be off to Germany but I can't imagine you being here more than a few days at the most. There simply isn't room for you. How, how bad is it, ma'am? In the rest of the hospital, I mean? Bundari looked up at Morgan curiously. We have a couple here that might not make it through the night, she said bluntly. But as I'm sure you know, it's not like it used to be. We save many more of our patients than our predecessors could in earlier wars. It's the healing and the adjustments that are the real challenge. Bundari paused, and then smiled a bit sadly. It's not as bad as it was on my last deployment. Seeing the sober nod from her patient, Bundari put her hand on Morgan's. I've already heard what you did, Morgan. You saved a lot of lives, and you saved yourself. So I'm told. Morgan shrugged. She looked up at the doctor thoughtfully. How do you deal with working here? How do you manage it? I put my head down and weighed in, just like you did and just like all the grunts out there, Bundari told her simply. And I take care of myself as best I can. Feels kind of bad, now that I think about it, Morgan mumbled. Sitting in here while all that's going on outside. A lot of patients feel that way. Morgan, you have a right to be happy. You're alive and in one piece. Being happy for yourself doesn't make you a bad person, no matter how badly off others are. You can't save them all. And you're no good to anyone else if you're never good to yourself. She looked at Morgan, waiting for her patient to nod. It wasn't entirely convincing, but Bundari couldn't linger. On that note, though, I've got others to look in on. So like I said, rest, eat and drink well and let us know if you feel any differently at all. And whatever you're doing for yourself, keep doing it, because you already look better than someone in your position normally would. Bundari smiled kindly, gave Morgan's hand a maternal pat, and headed out. Thank you, ma'am, Morgan mumbled. She didn't know if the doctor had heard it or not, but there were other things on her mind already. Those were really pictures of your insides? Thomas asked in awe as he stepped closer to her side. The material alone is amazing but what artist could paint. I'm such a dishabag. His mistress interrupted. Such a selfish twat. You are not. Thomas frowned, knowing neither what a twat might be or what a douche was, or why one would need a bag of them, but understanding the tone perfectly. Thomas, she said, looking up at him now, you aren't powerful enough to stop the war, are you? If I wished it, could you make it stop? He shook his head. Were genies that powerful, surely there would have been no crusade. I could go out in search of your enemies. I could lay them low bit by bit, in groups of dozens or perhaps even a few hundred, but the more of them I face at once, the more my powers fade. Yet ultimately I would merely be one very effective warrior amid an entire war. Yeah. Okay. I kind of figured that. Morgan didn't give it much more thought. He was magical. But he wasn't psychic, and that would lead to the same basic problem of the war. If the enemy could be drawn out into large, open battles, there very quickly wouldn't be much of an enemy anymore. And the enemy however one defined them knew that all too well. She put it aside. Fretting about that would only make her more insane. There were other productive things that could be done. She had to think of something. You can help the people in this hospital, right? The wounded? The sick? His gaze held a warning. I can. He nodded. But I have to remind you that we must be careful. Magic must be kept hidden by its nature. And dash. All right, I know already. Look, I'm not asking you to just magic everyone's problems away. But anything's better than nothing. It was hard to keep from sounding desperate. She probably wasn't doing a good job. You can do something, right? I suppose that would be a matter of circumstance. The genie shrugged. I would have to see each one at a time. Then I need you to get out there and help people however you can. Can you sneak me around with you? Or would that slow you down? Thomas considered it. I don't yet know the limits of my power. I only know that it is finite. But I understand so little of what is going on here. I can't imagine that I would do as much good alone as I would if I had you to guide me. Then get me up and make me invisible or however it is that everyone ignores you, she said, gesturing to the door. Just, look, we can't let anyone die here tonight, all right? I don't want to think about people being in pain and dying while I'm laying in here getting laid and having a good time, all right? Her voice cracked at the last. Tears were forming in her eyes. I'll do my best, Thomas bowed. He reached for her legs, mending each one in seconds. Morgan swung herself out of the bed, pausing only to test the strength of her legs. Sitting in a hospital in the middle of a war, she grumbles, and the first thing I think of when a fucking genie lands in my lap is that I want to try out his cock. Thomas blinked. His face flushed. When Morgan looked up at him expectantly, he could do little more than clear his throat. Am I invisible? she asked. And can we make sure nobody notices I'm gone? Yes. Of course, Thomas nodded. He raised a hand toward the bed, and soon there was another Morgan laying in it sound asleep. Good enough. Let's move out, soldier. It was an education in how much the world, and warfare, had changed. The hospital, as Morgan called it, was swarmed with people. He came to understand that her room was an anomaly, as many of them were shared. Yet the two or three wounded soldiers per room was still an astounding luxury to his thinking, as was the meticulous cleanliness of the building. After some consternation in trying to learn her way around herself, Morgan brought him to the emergency room. It was, she said, where the newest patients were brought, and therefore where those in most pressing need would be. He thought, on arrival, that men and women were simply not brought to this floor of the hospital, as Morgan called it until they were bandaged and no longer bleeding, but even on the bottom floor where the wounded were brought in. He found that spilled blood and bile and such were promptly cleaned up. It made for a considerably less unpleasant setting than the sort of mess made when the wounded were gathered from the sorts of battles he was used to. There was blood, though, and pain. Few cries for aid. Those happened, too, but to his thinking there was less anguish from the wounded than there was urgent conversation from those tending to them. The sheer amount of aid was jarring as well so many soldiers devoted to healing, so much equipment and space and energy. Okay, so make sure none of these guys die. Can you do that? Morgan asked softly. She stayed on his arm, clinging to it almost, guiding him as much as she used him to steady herself. His mistress had her hand over her mouth and nose. It seemed in keeping, he realized, with the number of masked people around him wore on the bottom half of their faces. Yet for a place where the wounded and dying were to be brought, Thomas was amazed at how little the room stank at all. That one shall live without my aid, so will that one, and he. Thomas frowned. The injured man lay on a table of sorts, tended to by several soldiers whose expressions and tones conveyed urgency. Someone was pushing down on his chest, rhythmically looking on at another healer for some sort of confirmation. He is dying. Keep his heart beating, Morgan mumbled. And, um, has he lost a lot of blood? That's what they're saying. Can you give him more? I can, Thomas nodded, turning his mind to it. You need to keep blood, not lose it, Morgan went on. We don't put leeches on people or bleed the sick anymore. That's stupid, it's, it's counterproductive, you're supposed to stop bleeding. He paid only little heed to her explanation at first. What she asked of him required some concentration. Yet after a moment, he was satisfied that he had fulfilled her directions. The urgency in those around the injured man lessened somewhat, and the one pushing on his chest let up. Thomas turned to Morgan. In my day, such steps were taken well after the battle, not in the immediate aftermath. He smirked. One doesn't immediately think that man is bleeding out, but if I ensure he bleeds more he will survive. Morgan opened her mouth as if to say something, then caught his expression and let it go with a bit of a fuming breath. Smartass, she grumbled. These men will all recover. That one, however, will suffer from great confusion. Disorientation. It is as if he has suffered a blow to the head much worse than yours. Yet it seems to have hit him all over. Can you fix that? Lighten up the injury some? Thomas nodded. He stared at the next patient for a moment. I have, he said. He is still injured, yet not nearly so much. I believe he will recover. And his pain is lessened. He added. Thank you, she breathed out. If I might ask, Thomas frowned, what manner of battle is it that harms these men so? I don't see cuts from swords. Some of these wounds are punctures as if from splinters, yet it is metal. And so many of them, like that last, seem to have been injured in much of their bodies all at once. You don't, you don't see a lot of up-close fighting anymore, Morgan tried to explain. Most of it happens at range. You had bows and arrows. Crossbows too, right? Thomas frowned. Yes, he said. Effective, but many feel it's cowardly to fight at distance. They don't take much training to use well compared to a sword or a bow. Morgan was already leading him out of the room and down a hallway. Well, these days, people don't really worry about what's cowardly or not. You think about how to make the other guy dead and make sure you get home alive. I suppose there's sense in that. Thomas shrugged. Well, anyway, I'll show you more later. But the weapons that get the most use now are called guns, and they're a little like crossbows. Much smaller, though, and what comes out of them flies faster than you can see. That's some of what you're seeing. The rest, well, the rest are bombs. Explosions. You ever, um... Morgan thought as she walked, leading him around several people walking their way without noticing them. You ever see burning would burst in a campfire? Well, think of something like that happening without the burning first. Only with a lot more power. It's kind of what happened to my leg. He frowned. Yet it was all metal that went through your leg. I'm explaining this poorly. I'm not a history expert. I'm not sure what you'd understand and what you wouldn't, because we just don't have the same frame of reference. She looked around, reading the signs. Oh, God. She breathed. Burn ward. Morgan kept hold of his arm. Come on. Asterisk, asterisk, asterisk. You mustn't be hard on yourself. She heard Thomas say gently. She laid in her bed, turned on her side, one arm underneath the pillow and the other hand tugging the blanket close. Thomas sat in his chair again, speaking to the back of her head. It had been less than two hours before he confessed that his powers were spent. They had seen to the worst cases in the building, thankfully, and he still had power to use on the pair of Iraqi policemen who were brought in with gunshot wounds. But after that, Thomas could only look to her sadly and shrug. He didn't know yet how long it would be before he was up for more. We could have done more. Morgan sniffed. Could have probably helped someone else if I hadn't spent all day playing with you like you're my personal magic porn star. He didn't respond immediately. Do you mean, he said gently, when we laid together? Yes. Laid together. Had sex. Fornicated. Fucked. I see, he replied. She imagined him nodding. The gentleness did not leave his voice, but he sounded a bit embarrassed when he said, It did not take so much energy. Then my legs must have taken some energy, I'm sure. She countered bitterly, bouncing back and forth between hurt and healed just for the hell of it. You had been through a great deal and were confronted with sudden fortune. You should not be hard on yourself. She didn't respond. Morgan was being dramatic, and knew it, and was irritated by that, too. It wasn't her style at all. Even now, she knew she could and should cut it out. It wasn't doing her any good, let alone Thomas. He was probably more worried about whether or not their earlier fling was suddenly forgotten. But she was doubly irritated by the fact that she could be conscious of her own dramatics in light of what really bothered her. She had all this power here at her disposal— ready and eager to please, and instead of thinking about her fellow soldiers or the dozens of Iraqis here, combatant and civilian alike, she thought of herself. People all around her were in pain while she was getting it on in her hospital bed. Selfish. Stupid. So stupid. How long has this war gone on? Thomas asked. Going on six years, Morgan said. Since March of 2003. It's January of 2009 now and no end in sight. And how many of your countrymen have died here? Four thousand something, last I heard, she sniffed. Couple hundred allies from other countries. He let out a breath of shock. Four thousand, he murmured. I saw nearly that many cut down in a day at Doraleum. Morgan turned to him at that, looking up but not knowing what to say. What I saw tonight was terrible, make no mistake. I do not belittle what you or your comrades have suffered. I am sure you have lost, friends. I have as well. But to my view, what you have done here has been nothing that would bring shame. Many would not have even considered sharing fortune as you have. And you gave of yourself just yesterday as well. Your liege, Wallace, said so himself. Were it not for you, others would surely have died. I just... Don't feel like it's right for me to have a good time while all this is going on around me. Morgan said softly. Perhaps. Thomas shrugged. Perhaps not. But it is as the healer Bundari Told you. You have to take care of yourself. Keeping good spirits will aid your recovery. And you must look to that. My magic can heal what ails your body. But I cannot so easily heal the scars on your heart. And there are such scars. Any who have seen war will carry them. He fell silent for a moment, looking down at his feet and then back at her. I know not what our future together holds, or what place I might take in your heart, or if even thinking of such is presumption, but laying with you this day meant a great deal to me. You were not the only one to feel joy or solace. His words came out slowly, softly. Thomas hadn't struck Morgan as a stoic or a macho man but realize now that he likely didn't have many outlets for discussing emotion. And so if you do not feel that it was necessary for you, I can tell you, for what it is worth, that it was very much what I needed. And I will always be grateful. Something inside her crumbled. Morgan's lip trembled a little, and her eyes began to water again. She hated crying she was tougher than this. Yet her secret companion had suddenly shown her an unexpected side. She hadn't thought of him as a toy, certainly, but somewhere in the deep, stirring voice and the battle-hardened sexiness, Morgan hadn't really thought too much yet about what lay inside. She gingerly reached out her hand, which he took up and softly kissed. She smiled a bit, feeling like she should blush or something, but was after all this a bit too emotionally spent for that. Yet his gaze was stirring. Heartfelt admissions or no, he certainly hadn't lost his composure. It meant a lot to me, too, Thomas. She told him. I really like you. A lot. And I can't begin to tell you how grateful I am to have you here. Or for today. And I don't want to sell today short, but I'm even more grateful for what you did tonight. He bowed his head just a bit, though smiling tenderly. I am at your service. You should not feel reluctant to command me. Even if it is something just for yourself. You have already done much for others, even before I came along. Morgan nodded. Any more magic juice back? Some small portion. He answered after a moment's consideration. It returns in a trickle. I could not yet do much, but being at rest helps me recover. I don't know. I don't really know how far we're gonna go. She said. You and I. But I really like you. You're warm. You're good. And I'd really like it if we could at least consider each other friends and maybe work from there? He smiled. I would like that. Then a wry smirk appeared on his lips. Do friends, in this day and age, do friends lay together? Has that become normal? It's not normal. Morgan laughed. But it happens. For friends like us, anyway. She said. Looking in those eyes again, she found herself losing a small battle within. She knew she should be more guarded than this, for her own sake, and she understood now, for his but she just couldn't take the thought of him suffering over ambiguities. More than friends, she added in a final compromise with herself. I would really like it if you would lay here with me tonight. Not to have sex, but just to be close to me. I would very much appreciate that, too, he said. Morgan shifted as best she could, tugging on his hand and Thomas clambered up to squeeze into the bed as best he could. There was certainly less room on it now than there had been earlier in the day through his magic. I could make the bed wider soon, I think. He suggested with a frown. No, Morgan said, taking advantage of the tight fit to get very close to him. No powers tonight, except to hide yourself. That happens naturally anyway, right? Yeah. So no powers. Save that. We'll just have to rough it here. His arms were soon around her. She laid her head on his chest, very much liking the way he felt. If I fall asleep and you're awake, and you think you can go help people, would you go do that for me? Just use your judgment? I believe I can, Thomas answered. He stroked her hair, happy to have her settle in against his body. If you're sure you trust my judgment— I suppose, aside from you, that I am a bit less sensitive to the needs of those around me than I should be. You've been through hell, Morgan countered gently. It wears on a person. Makes you callous sometimes. Doesn't make you bad. No, I suppose not. Your hospitals are amazing unto themselves. There is so much more done here than I could do with magic. We did good things today, but you should not feel it necessary out of guilt. It is generous of you to direct my power toward helping others, but it is not wrong of you to enjoy it for yourself. Well, there's being selfish, and then there's being responsible. Responsibility should not become generosity to a fault. H.M. Morgan grinned with a soft giggle. Reminds me of a story my people have about a boy named Peter who got bitten by a spider, s an honored parable about responsibility. I'll have to show it to you sometime. Thomas cocked his head curiously at that, but then shrugged. As it stands, I feel rather good about what we have done. It is nice to allay the suffering of others. I will not mind seeing to it further when I am ready. You will likely be asleep before that happens, though. Do you want me to wake you? I trust you, she said finally. I don't want to micromanage you. That wouldn't be any fun. But I think you know what I want. Sounds like you probably want the same things. Morgan finally felt a yawn come on, and let it out as she snuggled up to her genie. I'm gonna have to start teaching you about the modern world. Hopefully we'll find some time to do a little of that tomorrow. I would be very grateful. Not a problem. They were silent for a moment. Then her head shifted. She felt something about him stir. What's funny? she asked. You will command me to make love to you again at some point, won't you? Morgan laughed, and he laughed with her. Typical guy, she chuckled. Yes. God, yes. You're amazing. I'm not gonna give that up for anything. Asterisk, 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 Lance Corporal Chewy Hernandez woke up in the night with his hands hurting. It had happened to him the night before as well. The doctors weren't sure how much he could handle by way of pain meds because of something to do with a couple mild allergies or mixing meds or some bullshit, so the stuff they gave him couldn't get him through the night. He had no idea how long he had slept the stupid clock was broken but it was still dark out dot he thought about calling for someone. He'd have buzz for a nurse or an orderly if it didn't hurt like hell just to move his arms. They lay wrapped in bandages at his sides, feeling like they were still on fire. That. And they itched like mad. But the last thing in the world he could do was scratch them. Chewy fumed for a moment, and thought about calling out, but he glanced over to the bed across the room. Warren was sound asleep. That couldn't have been easy to accomplish, what with how jacked up that poor fucker was? They were afraid to give him too much in the way of pain meds too. Head trauma, they said. Don't want to screw with the natural process. Chewy considered that their doctor might just be an asshole. The surgeon from India or wherever was pretty cool, but Major Simmons seemed like one of those guys who was just plain out of his depth. It was that very problem, though, and the sight of Warren finally sleeping, that led Chewie to keep his mouth shut. Poor guy had to be in a lot of pain. He was pretty jacked up. Chewie was in pain, but ultimately it was just his arms. Chewie decided he could take it. He was a marine, after all. He closed his eyes figuring that maybe they would get tired of staring at the backs of his eyelids and tell his brain to take a fucking break. What happened to your hands? A voice asked softly. Chewy looked up to see a G.I. standing there in the dark at the foot of his bed. He wasn't wearing a hospital shirt, and that black t-shirt was out of uniform, to say nothing of his hair. But that could mean he was one of those special forces guys. They got to do that shit, he heard. He'd met green berets with biker beards. Burned up, Chewie said. Make sure you keep quiet. Warren's asleep. Ain't easy for him. What happened to him? IED. Fucking thing exploded right behind a door just as he opened it. Door held, but he still got pretty jacked up. Chewie shook his head and asked, not for the first time. What stupid fucker puts a bomb right behind a steel door? I don't know. The visitor shrugged. You're in pain. Yeah, man, Chewie said. Maybe the guy was an officer, maybe not, but if he was gonna go around out of uniform, Chewie figured he'd just have to suck up not being addressed by rank. You maybe go get someone who can give me something? Kinda hard to sleep. I can help, the man said, coming closer. But you'll have to forget I was here, Chewie snorted. Yeah, sure, man. Whatever. Figure you gotta be special forces or something with all that hair, right? Or perhaps you're dreaming, the visitor suggested. That certainly seemed more likely. The man reached out for Chewie's hands. Careful, he warned. Docs say things are real sensitive under there. Nothing's really done yet. Don't want to lose more skin than I already have. The visitor cocked his head. How did this happen to you? he asked. i d just like Warren. Only I wasn't in the way when it blew. Started a fire, one of my guys was stuck by debris. Had to get him free before he burned up. Chewie looked down at his bandaged arms. He's gonna be better off than me, they say. What else do they say? Holding out a little hope for some recovery, but not a lot, Chewie said. It was a hard thing to say, but he had been trained to face the hard things. Sooner or later I'll be able to move them. But the wife's probably gonna be pretty creeped out, you know, man? Getting hugs from a crispy critter? I mean my hands are bad, but they ain't too bad cause I had good gloves on. But from the wrists up, the visitor nodded. He reached out to touch Chewie's right wrist. The pain went away almost immediately. Huh, now I know I'm dreaming dot. What is your wife's name? He reached out to the left wrist, which soon also wasn't nearly as hot or itchy. Sandra. Is she pretty? Yeah, man. Chewy snorted. I look like I gotta settle for less. No. The visitor smiled softly. No, you don't. He glanced at Chewy thoughtfully. But I think perhaps you and your wife might have some reason to hold out a little hope. Yeah? Why's that? He yawned. Finally, he was feeling a bit sleepy again. Maybe it was because he was dreaming. Because I think your burns might not be as bad as was feared, the visitor said. He reached out, clasped Chewie's shoulder for a moment, and then turned toward Warren doubt if the guy had a dream conversation with Warren, too. Chewy missed it. He fell back to sleep. Asterisk 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 the feeling of Thomas joining her in the bed stirred Morgan from her sleep. She lay on her left side once more, arm underneath her pillow. He slipped in behind her his strong right arm slipping over her hip. She smiled dreamily and snuggled into him. IT had been many months since a man had crawled into bed with her, yet Morgan thought warmly that it was wonderful that she could know who it was sharing her space so immediately. No creepy thoughts about Mark. No wondering if she was going to regret sleeping where she slept in the morning Dot IT was Thomas, and he was awesome. Better than awesome. Magic. Were you out wandering? She murmured. I was, he said back softly. He kissed her hair. That right arm around her waist rose, and she soon felt his hand tracing affectionately along her leg. The left came around under her, effortlessly and comforting, defying all the usual mundane complications of too many limbs in one bed. Definitely magic. Anything interesting out there? Yes, came the quiet answer. I went out to do your bidding, and there is less pain here tonight than before. Thank you, Morgan smiled. She fell silent a bit, liking the feeling of his hand and the way his body melded against hers. Thomas was warm, affectionate, sexy. The fingers tracing along her hip gave her a brief, welcome shiver to contrast with that warmth. My power is mostly spent again, he explained slowly, softly, his lips tracing against the bare skin of her neck and her shoulders. She let out a breath that was noticeably heavier than the last. But the hospital is quiet. Patients sleep. I believe I have fulfilled your wish as best as I can. HHHH. Morgan breathed. Good. It takes very little energy to ensure we are not discovered. Noted the lips that brushed against her ear. M-M-H-H? Little energy to ensure that we are at least comfortable, and none at all to simply be a man. Morgan's right arm slipped up and around to allow her fingers to run through his hair. She gripped some of it softly as he nibbled on her earlobe, his hand now slipping around from the outsides of her hip to tenderly probe her belly in below. She breathed out again heavily. How she could be this relaxed and this aroused all at once was beyond her, but the last thing she wanted to do was question it. Every breath became heavier even as her body became weaker for him. Loving his touch, she shifted her legs just enough to open more space for him. God, yes, she whispered as his fingers brushed through her pubes and across her clit. His left hand was already up her shirt no fumbling under the fabric of her hospital gown, no awkwardness from lying on that arm. She simply felt that hand come between her breasts, brushing over her heart as it beat harder. Yes. She knew she was being seduced and thrilled to it. He was very good at that. He was very good at fulfilling the needs he awoke in her, too. Those fingers that caressed and gently probed her increasingly wet pussy played at exploring, but she knew all too well that he already knew his way around that. The notion of it turned her on even more. The thought that got her heart pounding more, that had her breath heavier still and that ran through her body like electricity, was that this mix of intimate friend— Eager servant and reverent seducer was entirely too good to deny. Morgan whimpered and writhed against him but let him have his fun. She hadn't asked for this, but then she did allow him his own discretion. If he felt it was in his mistress's best interests to play with her like his personal toy, well, he had certainly earned the reward. She had no idea when he pulled the hospital gown free. It must have been about the same time that his shirt vanished. She felt it though. When despite lying on his hip and against her from behind, Thomas slid off his BDU pants with one simple stroke of his hand. And she absolutely felt the tool that he had freed with that magic trick. Morgan was content eager, really to cede complete control to him. She was on fire with need. Well, before she had felt his dick nestled between her cheeks. His fingers had her on the edge of climax already. Yet as he slipped into her from behind, still lying side by side against one another, That climax was agonizingly, wondrously delayed. One overwhelming pleasure had suddenly been shunted aside by another dot he slipped in and out of her. Morgan breathed along with the rhythm of his slow, loving thrusts. Her free hand clutched at the hand that softly but needfully fondled her breasts. His other hand, she realized as her senses accepted and adjusted to the constant pleasure of his penetrating cock, returned to its work on her pussy. She surrendered in utter bliss. He moved in and out of her and back in again, steadily filling her and breathing with his own need. Morgan had never felt so wanted, or so accepted, or so beautiful. As much as she wanted to kiss him and reciprocate, there was simply no way she would turn away from this state before they were both fulfilled. It went on and on. Morgan, he whispered into her ear lovingly. Say my name, she whimpered back. Say it again. Morgan, he repeated. I am yours. Her body began to spasm, starting at her center but quickly overtaking her. Morgan gasped and moaned, crying out in joy as her pussy gave into him all over again. Tears streamed from her eyes and she convulsed against him. The small corner of her mind, not completely given over to animal pleasure, thrilled at the way he held her, warmly and with strength, letting her ride out the waves of orgasm that coursed through her. Don't leave me, she sighed out finally. Don't, I want you inside me. As you wish. She felt his lips say against the back of her neck. It's what I want, too. It was the luxury she wanted to deny herself before, but knew she could not now. Thomas had seen to her concern for her comrades. He had carried her to her bed, protected both her and the rest while she slept. This last service, though, released all her stresses again leaving her nothing but cherished and well-loved dot he kept her wet and welcoming to him throughout the night. It had to be magic she knew, but didn't care. Now and again she had the thought of turning over, of reciprocating the affections that he showered onto her, but Thomas never once let up in his attentions or seemed the least bit dissatisfied. If anything, his whispered words and body language conveyed nothing but gratitude and satisfaction. Thomas stayed with her, held her, and filled her. Either of them slept. Either of them needed sleep nearly so much as they needed one another. Continue in the next part.